Welcome to the Next Money Podcast, our regular look at the fintech scene, particularly here in the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, my name's Rob Finlay. I'm the CEO of Next Money here in Singapore. And each week we ask a leading fintech practitioner about their journey in changing financial services for the better. You can find out more about us and the latest fintech news at nextmoney.org, where some of you will know our big conferences and meetups across the world. Contact us today to be a part of those conferences and meetups and these podcasts and much more. Well, we welcome to the Next Money podcast today. It's Marcus Nurk from uh, Tribe Capital. How are you, Marcus? Hey, Rob. I'm fine. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, It's great to have you here. Now, you're a well-known man here in Singapore, of course, in the fintech scene. Not too well-known, we hope, but you've obviously launched a really interesting new venture. Um, And the point of the show, obviously, is to hear about your story and and your thoughts in the future. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up, I suppose, all the way into Tribe Capital, but in fintech generally. You obviously have a bit of a different past. Yeah. Well, that's true. Uh, I started by... Where do we start, right? (laughs) I started by um, building carbon fiber clips in aerospace. Mm. So I'm a typical German who had no choice but studying engineering. Uh, So I I did that for some time and and like solving problems. I like to use technology to overcome inefficiencies. And then aerospace was one of those, uh, I think, spaces I looked up into and uh, did some things. But quickly afterwards realized that corporate is not my cup of tea. Mm. Uh, and, and so I moved on to do technology in, in London and in, in started companies in uh, clean tech, invested in uh, education tech, IoT, uh, and was pretty much in the London startup community, pretty active. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the company that brought me to fintech was Startup Bootcamp Fintech, mm-hmm. which many of you might know is, is an incubator now globally with many different activities mm. across ecosystems. Uh, so with my dear friend Nectarius, I founded that uh, just under f- four years ago in London. And then, yeah, it's um, I don't claim to have much background in finance or banking, but it's been it's been a good trip with technology. And I think I'm driven by the the ambition to how can technology overcome inefficiencies and how can you solve inefficiencies. Uh, this case in banking and finance, as we know, there might be some inefficiencies, um, and there's a few. Uh, there's a few yeah, uh, but yeah, it's exciting to see what you can do there and how you can improve banking, bank, banking services, uh, everything from front to back office. I think it's something that I'm very intrigued by, and so I got stuck into fintech, and Singapore came along three years ago when. The government reached out to start a bootcamp saying, hey, why don't you come to Singapore and help to establish more of an ecosystem here, uh, the new fintech ecosystem. Mm. Uh, so that that was time. And uh, that was 2015, is it? 20, yeah, 2015. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you've obviously had just a question that I noticed here. You always had the the benefit of hindsight of seeing <clears throat> London at a, mm. at a pretty active time mm. and now seeing Singapore at the same point. And obviously with your travels, you've, you've seen lots of different places. But how would you compare London and Singapore, even from your memories of, of, of working there? Were they Are they at similar points in terms of the maturity of their ecosystem or have they really got a lot of differences? Well, I think every city, every ecosystem is so different at different point of time, different things happen. Um, as you all know, London had a very good run with the fintech as as a city that I think coined that word for themselves and said, this is what we do now. Um, there were reasons why I developed London so quickly after the crisis. I think the talent was out there. I think banks kind of didn't really know how to innovate. So startups came in um, being already 
very much active in the entire startup ecosystem in, in London. You can see how the talent was together. Um, so that was, I think, was the reason what happened there. And, and similar to New York, similar structure, similar dynamics. The East is different. I think the East is is more top down. Um, when I came to Singapore, I already saw the banks fairly active in fintech. They have done their uh, fair share of homework, how to be innovative, and caught up very quickly. So the top down approach was certainly more uh, that the case. I think I remember when I came to Singapore. Three years ago, there were 18 fintech startups. Mm. Now there are more than 300, which just made three years. So it just exploded like there's no tomorrow. Um, so to, to your question, I think Singapore has a very different dynamic to, to London. There's more of a very established ecosystem of fintech here. Um, the finance banks are around, but then at the same time, you have a hinterland of ASEAN where you can start from scratch. You, know, you go to Myanmar, you go to Cambodia. You don't have the same in London where you still have you know, Germany, France, and other markets also very established. So I think that's where ASEAN is a very unique space. You can transform legacy, Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, to a certain extent, Thailand, where you have the mainframes out there that can be transformed. Uh, and then at the same time, you have inclusion, where you go out there and you have something uh, on the doorstep to, to really help to serve the new financial markets. Uh, so that's quite unique. Right. <clears throat> I understand that your new business, Tribe Capital, is focusing on ASEAN specifically. Tell us a bit about what Tribe Capital is and, and, and what, it, what it's focusing on. Yeah, Tribe Capital is it's now also almost, actually it's a year old already. Mm. Um, so Tribe Capital came together when um, typical serendipity moments with the other three co-founders uh, and many of you maybe know them. It's uh, it's my dear friend, Vaven, come from the GIC, who, who comes from a very much a PE background, investing from the GIC into financial services and also being at the MS helps him with the regulatory environment. Nels uh, has been in ASEAN for some time with his uh, 30 years career in banking and knows all the different dynamics in the banking world. And then Magnus Bocker, who uh, was the CEO of SGX, and he was, uh, I think, with his OMX story, very much an entrepreneur in fintech when it wasn't called fintech. Mm. Um, and he sold OMX for some good sum to, to NASDAQ back then. So the four of us come together, different background, different expertise. And I think we the reason why we're called Tribe is that we have all the different tribes behind us, entrepreneurship, technology, PE, banking, exchanges, that we think are necessary to really transform the space together. It can't be just one tribe, startups. Right. It can't be just the banks. We have to look at different dynamics out there that right. make it work together. Uh, so what Tribe essentially is, is um, we think of ourselves as a technology investment platform. Uh, we we see a lot of value out there if existing businesses that are growth stage, you can call them, uh, just existing businesses, 10, 15, 20 years old, that have created good traction in certain markets in financial services. So we are a holding company that invests in these growth stage companies. And when you four guys probably sat down, I guess over a year ago now, yeah. you mentioned that it was this combination of skills, but was there something that you felt was really missing or that you could be really unique about? I think that's, I think coming, looking at your business and how it's operating, mm. it does feel like a, a special, uh, in a special place as opposed to just another another business. Yeah, it's a very funny animal. <laughs> yeah. And I honestly have to say it's also changed over time, right? We also like any kind of young company, you also, you know. Was that deliberate or you had to steer? No, we just very open. I think, I think um, what we realized when we sat down 2015, 2016, more and more back kind of very often, um, you can rush easily into things these days. You can rush into being a VC, an incubator, another, you know, another, another VC fund or angel fund. I think there's a lot of things happening. Mm. Um, and we kind of step back a bit and say, you know, what are the data points that really think 
could make it work. Uh, and so we we looked at 900-something companies. We looked at different capital pools out there, anything from family offices to institutions to governments to, to corporates, collecting different data points to say, so what is really missing? And I think people are very hang up on the startup fintech story, mm. which is in a very exciting space that I've been part of and I've been helping and driving. But I think there's also bit of distraction towards that, a bit of a bias towards that. So there's a lot of value out there in, in tech vendors, a lot of value out there in SMEs, a lot of value out there in the right capital pools to make it happen together. Uh, and I think we shouldn't dismiss that. Uh, and in particular, as fintech has been established more of a B2C play, you know, mm-hmm. typical startup approach to overcoming a consumer problem by having a better UX UI, which, and again, is, is an amazing experience to have and very important products to have. We think that the B2B is something that hasn't been really focused on so much yet. And so our investment thesis and our operating experience is really around how to transform infrastructure technologies. Uh, And given that financial services is a fairly complex space, it doesn't seem too easy to just invest. It also is important how do you operate, how do you sell companies. I think that's where we we like to have a very much a value-adding approach to, you can call it PE style, but it's just really happy, helping to operate the companies and helping have a very hands-on approach. So when you talk about this focus on B2B, it's, mm. <clears throat> it's good to hear, but is it one of three things? Is it is it another version of a little startup that just happens to have a B2B solution? Is it that sort of mid-tier provider that can potentially undercut a large tech firm? Or is it does, does it have the aspiration to be to be a large tech firm or to be bought out by a large tech firm? Is it, or is there a different application you're looking for there? That, that services banks or services each other, or so you I don't mind, I suppose. We have is we some, we have, we know something we like. We have we have a certain criteria, that, you know, that, that we think that something where we would pull the trigger quicker. Um, I think one step back is where is it all heading? Right. I think we we like to think of banks as a warehouse of capital. Yeah? They are the ones who will warehouse capital and will deposit and will lend. Yeah. Then there's a lot of different rails out there. There are different. I think. Um, capital and data flows back into the bank and out of the bank. Uh, and you can see that this entire banking infrastructure is breaking up. Uh, I think all the different verticals, asset management, capital markets, trade finance, they're all kind of breaking up over time. Uh, and so banks will be there to hold deposits and to lend, as, as they always have been, the warehouse. But then who will own the rails back into the bank? And that's where the data will, I think, will be a very important part of it. Um, and we like to think that technology will drive these data flows uh, and, and drive Tribe investment thesis and Tribe's subsidiaries and Tribe the whole co will really um, be part of this data flow, and the, po- the companies below Tribe will kind of facilitate the data flow. Uh, so for us, it's it's not about technology or about fintech or B two B. It's about the railway that goes in back into the bank. Uh, and take Chinse as a good example. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chinse the investment we done recently. They're not really fintech. I mean, it doesn't really matter what you are. They're actually shipping in maritime. Uh, they are in commodities trading. But if you think about the data they have on the platform that's relevant for trade finance, that's something we like a lot to see. How can you facilitate the flow of data that will make more sense for institutions, in this case, banks? So you touch on data a lot there. Yeah. And I think it's it, it feels obvious now that the data is completely uh, critical and mandatory as a, <clears throat> as a skill, as a service, as an asset that you need to build. But are you finding that a lot of the startups or the companies you come across, uh, they're taking it seriously enough? Or, and for some, it's obviously the core of their business. Yeah. But for some, it's not. And But are they still taking it seriously enough? And even the, the end clients that they might work with? Is there, is there a great understanding of data in ASEAN 
do you think is mature? I, I, I think that's also why ASEAN is very interesting. ASEAN is just a space where data is exploding. Yeah? You have finally um, the consumers and businesses becoming online. I think so far, many things have been very manual, very, very paper-based. Um, trade finance, for example. SMEs, for example, very much paper-based. Because they're all getting online into mobile phones, into Facebook, into, into other things, there's more data available. So the data explosion in ASEAN hasn't been really captured yet. Mm. And that's what I call financial inclusion. It's not about giving just services to the underbanked or debanked. It's about how do you facilitate financial services back off the data that's available now. Mm. And I think that's for sure you can see the e-commerce now. I think that's why Lazada and Alibaba and others are coming in to, to capture that. Uh, financial services yet has to catch up with how to really use the new data available that comes out yeah. Uh, and to your point, I think many companies, let it be startups or tech vendors, are starting to look at this. Um, but I haven't come across many yet that have really structured good, reliable data that gives you new insights how to be make a better financial service out of this. Yeah, I, I think you're right. <clears throat> I think uh, it's hard to see that practice being really having mm. a lot of depth here in ASEAN still. I, I wonder if it's globally the same the same elsewhere as well. Mm. Um, and certainly I think the banks here are struggling to understand, well, not just what do we do with it, but who's got the skills, the services, what do we put our big bets on um, and, and where do we do it and how do we do it? Mm. I think that's still a bit of a gap. What about um, we, where startups or companies or even investors might access capital from potential investors in their fund or in their business. I, mean, I hear every story from some some wealthy person in Jakarta has got to put that money somewhere. I'll just throw it over the fence mm. to obviously <clears throat> large companies in China who want to make an investment. What's the? How would you describe the landscape of where capital is being placed and what type of capital? Is it lazy, dumb capital, to use a derogatory term, or is there now quite pointed um, applications of, of funds. Do you find it's still uh, quite varied in ASEAN in particular? I think it's it's fairly known that ASEAN is is an emerging market. It's it's really coming up on the on the global map, and the economies are very growing. That also means there's more assets available to to invest. Right? So, being Singapore is uh, is a hub for financial services, it's natural that there's capital to invest. Um, we have seen a very good growth of. VC investments recently in any kind of tech industry here across the region and I think we continue seeing that and it's very good to foster that um, and to con have VCs continue to to invest in these upcoming talent and technologies. Um, I also think we're coming to a stage now where there are growth stage businesses, there are Series B, Series T type businesses, they're looking for a different type of capital that takes them beyond the existing borders, which means scale, which means how do you really take it from Singapore to Malaysia, how do you have very strong family conglomerate ties that really help you to get deep into the economies in, in the region here. As we know, ASEAN is fairly fragmented. Just going to another country isn't that easy, you need the right partners. So. Which capital pools are out there, family offices, corporates, institutions that really help to scale? I think this is the next step of funding that is necessary at the moment. And we like to think that Tribe fits into this quite nicely as a very strategic investor with our people platform behind us of our investors, our shareholders, to, to have a very active approach on bringing technology into financial services in ASEAN across the different countries. Is it, is it obvious to say then that's not the case in the, in the likes of Silicon Valley or in Europe? I think they're very much self-sustainable ecosystems now. I think they have established a long tradition of the capital flows that are just recycled and I think bring bring knowledge and the right capital to the table. I think ASEAN has always been investing in itself as well, but now I think it's getting more cross-border. I think it's getting more connected. I think talent is more easy to flow. I think uh, technologies are easier to adapt and to localize. So now we can see how capital really gets in the right flow here. And from anything from VC to PE to 
to coming up hopefully very soon some more IPOs here. And that's and it leads to the question I was going to have, which again, given your European backgrounds mm. and now being here, I presume you get <clears throat> quite a few people contacting you about how to transition maybe money out of the West into the East. Um, would, would, you, would you encourage them to do that? What are the pitfalls if, for our listeners who are potentially in the US or Europe? What are the things they should learn about potentially coming across if you want them to, Marcus? I'm not sure if you... Want to compete in your well, turf, I wouldn't but, mind more Germans here, so that's <laughs> fine. Yeah. Uh, we've got plenty, but um, <laughs> but what, again, what are the things that you would teach or you would t- say to a, a German investor who wants to move their money out here? I mean, obviously, I don't give any recommendations to any kind of German investors here, but uh, I think what I can see is that in our case as well, there's more and more interest from our European counterparts. Uh, I think there's more interest on the technology side to have companies coming over. Uh, I think Singapore's doing a very good job there to promote fintech, and we can see the deflow being increased in the last few year, mm. years. Um, on the investment side, there is a certain, I think, worry and also view that the turbulent times are coming up uh, in in US, in, in Europe. I think look, people are looking for new emerging opportunities, and, and ASEAN certainly is, I think, besides China and India, the next market to watch as a whole. Again, I think education has to happen. But you have 650 million people here on your doorstep that are all the middle class is upcoming. We know the numbers. It's quite staggering on the yep. mobile phone penetration, internet penetration rate. And that is where I think a certain part of your asset allocation could happen. And it is a bit risky, but the returns can also hence be a bit higher. Um, I think what's exciting about ASEAN is it is it is really bang in the middle of the trade flows that will happen between China and India. I think it's bang in the middle of the new wealth in the middle class. Uh, and it's a technology-savvy society that societies that are really, I think, out there to watch. Are there particular countries you, you're, <clears throat> you like personally at the moment, not necessarily from a, a business direction point of view, but I mean, places to me like Thailand... Mm. Philippines, um, Vietnam, obviously very exciting. For the, again, for those outside ASEAN, <clears throat> those countries really interest me because they've got this this base level of emerging market that's pretty untapped. They've yes. got this, especially Thailand, this really incredible middle class that's got disposable money and there's retail businesses, there's all sorts of services that are there for them. Yeah. And it's obviously always had that that small top end. Yeah. And that, that market to me in Thailand is really filling out very nicely sort of end to end with a huge middle class in the middle you mentioned before. I agree. I think I, mean, I love the Thai Mekong Delta. Uh, I just come back from Cambodia the other day now and again having another very inspirational conversations. what happens there where um, the regulator, the society, the talent, the, the institutions I think are on the right step to push technology very hard into the system. Um, same in Myanmar has opened up. We all know, again, it's something where in the last three years something has happened that hasn't been happened before really, apart from China and India maybe. Um, where I tell, like to tell a story where uh, if you ask someone, do you have internet? No, they say, I've got Facebook. Uh, so they don't even know the internet. They leapfrog to Facebook directly. Yeah? Yeah. So if you see that and mix it with the drivers for technology adoption, uh, if you mix it with the right regulatory environment that that has is in favor of technology, I think you can see some very interesting things happening there in the future. Um, where the, for me also the term financial inclusion has a very different approach now. I, I When I've been now traveling across the region there, financial inclusion always means banking the unbanked. Yeah? How do you help people to be more financial services savvy? Yeah? But in reality, they actually all have financial services. They're, most of them are out there and, and being banked to a certain extent. What I actually think is the other way around now, how can you make the bank more relevant to be included into the daily life of people. Mm-hmm. I think banks are in a way missing out to be relevant to consumers because they move on anyway. They will have Facebook, they have WhatsApp, they have anything they will do. They don't care about banks that much, right? So I think the bank has to be included. 
into the system, not <laughs> other way around. Right. Yeah. So I think that's for me, I don't realize, uh, and banks, you ask them what they're out there, they say, well, we just build more ATMs now. We're just going to ATMs 100 a month. We're going to build more branches. And you wonder, you're missing the train. Like, yeah. there's, you're not going to be relevant by just building ATMs. You've got to be relevant by being online with, with anything you can offer your consumers who are online anyway. Yeah? So financial inclusion, I think we're turning around these days and say, banks, you're the one to, to be included. That's fascinating. It's a really yeah. good point. And as you say, if, if Facebook, which it obviously does, could do um, P2P payments, then easily I'll just yeah. use that because yeah. if, if if I'm on the mobile phone plan, it only gives me Facebook as the f- yeah. feature I can access, yeah. and I can pay you money back for this thing I bought from you. That, that's yeah. that's an entire ecosystem right there. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit. Let's be a bit more forward looking now, mm. and <clears throat> tell me a little bit about um, I guess the role that you think um, investors or or investment firms or funds or or people who back companies and get them going. Yeah. You know, will that become more important or less? Will, will startups become more self-sufficient in their behavior, in the way they develop, or do you always think there's going to be a place for a venture building capability beyond just supplying money? I think as a whole, economy societies will always, I think, establish more entrepreneurial structures. I think democracies and capitalism will move into an entrepreneurial system anyway. We are, the millennials uh, always feel empowered to start their own companies now. So I think we will definitely see more and more startups coming up. Mm. That's just a given. It means there will be more angels, will be more VCs, more venture building. For, and this also means there will be more noise and it will be harder to filter out the tops because right. it, it just it's just more coming up. Right? So anyone that has the right mechanism to identify better companies and put the right money and the right capital in the right time, I think will be the winner. What's, what's the secret to that? What, I mean, you, you've I think you told me before, X hundred number of, of pitch decks or pitches and you, you really only would consider a handful or less, right? Mm. I, I presume that's a pretty typical ratio for, for someone who sees um, pitches and so on. Yeah. How do you, what are the keys to doing that? What do you find? I mean, this is potentially an obvious question for yeah. someone like you, you guys at Tribe, but what are the things you're looking for that you think will get harder to find? I think, I mean, again, we we are partly an investor, but also an operator. Um I, I leave the conversation to the VCs how to invest in startups. No, yeah, it was more about who you yeah, want to work so with. So I think for us is for us we we're own operators of a holding company, Trap Capital. Um, we work with cash flow positive, more tech vendor type companies that we think have a very strong view on how to drive their technology adoption in different verticals and financial markets. Um, so the criteria are a bit more cross stage, a bit more technology savvy, are good founders, are backing a good team. Um, but also how can they be part of the trial platform? Because we we think financial services, that's where we focus on, will be more connected anyway again in the future with technology. I think there will be robots talking to machines, machines with machines. Um, how, how can you build, I think, a new financial system out there that connects the different technology flows to each other? Um, hence, that's also where we at Tribe will evolve over time that our portfolio is not just about having one company by itself, it's about how can they work with each other? How can we drive consolidation? There are now, I don't know, 40, 50,000 fintech companies out there. I don't even number. I lost track. They can't always survive. I think there got to be different operators, investors out there that stitch it back together. And that I think we see our... Ambition is that we can be one of the platforms here in Southeast Asia that will put it back together on the B2B side. Uh, so to your question, I think investors, particularly on fintech, because it's a very complex system, you've got to be more hands-on. As I said earlier, how do you sell? How do you really put these companies down into markets like Thailand and Philippines, Vietnam? How can you make it work with the right partners on the ground? Mm-hmm. 
that requires different skill sets but just building a tech company in e-commerce yeah? i think it's just a very different type of knowledge necessary um so we can see that also just very simple i think statistic is many of the unicorns in fintech i think 78% have corporate backing very strategic backing in there so without a corporate partner with a very strategic partner who can't really grow in finance and we like to think again that we are one of the strategic partners operating partner to make it work as well great yeah last question really is about i guess this future of the region in asia in particular again as we touched on it's quite a, a diverse region mm. now and it's well known that there's varying levels of, of uh, maturity in, in business in general, but also in startups. If you project forward 10, 20 years and you think of the growth and the penetration of, of technology and those things, do you think it will become, number one, essentially one uh, conjoined region? You know, is it a single currency? Is it a single trading zone? Which kind of is what ASEAN is about, right? Uh, or will you still see it as this, this collection of 10 quite different markets that have very different needs? I will leave that part to the politicians in the room um, and and the the ones who can think about the right frameworks in place. Uh, I think technology-wise and data flow-wise, we certainly see more integration to each other. Right. I think we certainly have um, a strong view that machines will work together anyway right. and that the movement of capital movement of data is going more and more free. I think that regulatory frameworks will be more aligned to make this happen uh, because we should not forget that the legal frameworks are not necessarily in place yet to make it work. Um, and hence, yeah, I'm quite excited to, to see how you might have lending platforms, payment platforms, um, trade finance platforms across ASEAN that will be in every market, yeah. Uh, so that should be, should be happening. Great. How can people find out more about what Tribe does? Um, you are happy to drop me an email anytime. Uh, uh, <laughs> What's the website, Marcus? Oh, sorry, the website is, we hope we have one, tribecapital.com. Um, so please reach out anytime or um, we're all on WhatsApp anyway. So drop me on WhatsApp something. Indeed. Yeah, I think, yeah, anytime. Thank you so much, Marcus, for being on the show today. Thanks, Rob. It's good. Good to be here. Uh, thanks for today's show. We really want to thank you all for listening. Uh, be sure to check the latest Next Money news and conferences at nextmoney.org. We'd love to have uh, your interest in be on the show. We want you to be a guest, a sponsor, a producer. Uh, we'd love your con contribution. And we'll speak to you next time on the Next Money Podcast.